Welcome back to Coffee with Kojo. This is your host, Anna, again. And today we have Jillian Wheeler with us. Could you give us a brief self-introduction? Hi, Anna. Yes, happy to. So I am a 1986 graduate of SDSU. I majored in journalism news editorial sequence. And I am originally from a family farm in Northwest Iowa. Ironically, I, I couldn't wait to leave the farm because I didn't want to be a farmer, but I realized later on that agriculture actually has a lot of different career opportunities that don't involve directly operating a farm, and that's where I landed. So I have been working in agriculture in some form or another basically since graduation, and uh, I live in the Minneapolis metro area and uh, live with my husband and an overly social cat and a not very bright but very lovable dog. I love the description of your pets. <laughs> well, they kind of run the household, so you have to bring them into the conversation. So what originally led you to come to SDSU? Well, the easy answer is that my brother attended SDSU studying mechanical engineering. So I became familiar with the campus visiting him and I kind of liked it. And then it was one of the universities that I applied to as a senior, and I ended up uh, receiving a Briggs scholarship for which I remain eternally grateful. So that really sealed the deal. It uh, it made a four-year degree very affordable for my family. And you mentioned that you knew you didn't want to go back to the farm. And what led you to choose ju journalism and communication? Oh, that's such a great question. And it's so relevant for everybody. I, it was a hard decision, but where I landed is um, the nice thing about journalism is it gives you skills to learn about any number of things. And because I had a lot of different interests and a lot of different things, and I literally couldn't land on any one thing, I decided to go for a career that allowed me to explore a lot of different things. And that seems to be exactly as it has worked out. And I remain grateful for SDSU for teaching me some of those kind of foundational skills that really are applicable in many different areas. But I would say journalism was a perfect career choice for someone who loves to learn and is intensely curious and my husband and I joke that I refer to him as my lab rat because I'm just always asking questions and always curious about things. And journalism is a perfect match for that. Have there been any questions that you've asked that you've been surprised by the answer? I think yes is the answer. And, and it's interesting because it's very applicable to uh, the work that I'm in now in sustainability is we we always have assumptions about why people do what they do. And increasingly, especially through the lens of behavioral science, we are realizing that sometimes the reasons people do what they do may not be logical, but in their mind, there actually is a very valid, but perhaps very different reason for it. So if you ask me what is a strange question, frequently the initial answer may seem like, wow, that really surprised me. I'll give you an example of the world that I work in right now in sustainable agriculture, one of the management practices that we work to encourage is planting of cover crops. So at a very high level, a cover crop is a crop that is planted after the original commercial crop is harvested. And what it does is it provides living roots in the soil throughout the winter, throughout that dormant period, which is very good for the health of the soil. And you would think everybody would want to do that. But when you start digging into it, it's very difficult. It requires a whole different set of management skills. For instance, if you don't get enough rain, you won't get a good stand on that cover crop. 
Or maybe you get too much rain and the following spring, that cover crop just keeps growing. And by the time you're able to get into that field to plant your, your commercial crop, whether that's corn or soybeans, you're planting into a stand of ryegrass that's a couple of feet tall. And that is a very daunting thing to do. So as I started looking into the answer, well, here's why I'm not planting cover crops. It surprised me. Why wouldn't you do that when it's so good for the soil? But then you dig into it and it's like, mm, yeah, okay, I see where you're coming from. I think that touches well on what you said in journalism. You get to see a wide range of interests, and this may be one that you didn't expect coming up. But leading into that, could you tell us a little bit about what your current position is, who it's with, and what you're doing in that position? So I am the sustainability impact lead for Truterra. Truterra is the sustainability business of Land Lakes. I think most people think of Land Lakes as the butter company. In fact, my family likes to joke that I work for Big Butter. It's not exactly a corporation, though. We're actually a cooperative, and we are owned by a collection of farmers and farmer-owned cooperatives. So the sustainability business, Truterra, works with farmers and agricultural retailers in the countryside to help them figure out how to adopt some of these more sustainable management practices within their farming operations. And then at the same time, we're working with food companies and other consumer goods companies that are sourcing products from the ag supply chain. So this might be corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, et cetera. And we work with them to help educate them about what is happening within their supply chain and ultimately give them an opportunity to contribute to making it more sustainable. And a lot of these companies are doing that because they realize that as we see more extreme weather events, we see changes in temperature, we see changes in precipitation patterns, all of that just adds more risk into their supply chains and their businesses. So if you are a General Mills and it's becoming harder for you to source oats, there goes your Cheerios business. So it really is a, a direct threat for some of these companies to their ability to do their business. But because Land Lakes is a cooperative and we have such close relationships with farmers and we understand how crops are grown, we can work with those companies and look at the risks in their supply chain and identify pragmatic ways to help reduce those risks. And then specifically for what I do within Truterra, I work primarily on what we call the downstream side, and that is working with these companies, food companies and other consumer goods companies that are purchasing agricultural commodities to use in their products. And I think the best way to describe what I do is I am somewhat of an interpreter because I understand both the sustainability side of the business as well as the agricultural side of the business. I am able to take uh, things that happen at a field level, and that might involve agronomy or soil health or production practices, and put it in uh, words that a non-farm audience can understand. Today, farmers represent less than 1% of the general population. So there's very few people that have the opportunity to go to a farm to see how farming is done and to really understand that. So as I work with these food companies and with their stakeholders, and those could be internal employees, it could be their investors, it could be their customers. We're working to make sustainability on the farm understandable to people who have may, very, may have very limited knowledge of how crops and livestock are produced. So to give you an example of one of the things that I worked on recently, we have a customer that sources corn 
And one of the things corn is used for, and it's amazing just how many things it is used for, is to create a substrate for making athletic shoes. It's an alternative to a substrate that historically has been made from petroleum products. So from that standpoint, it's a renewable resource. It's it's more, more natural than petroleum in the minds of many people, and therefore it makes it a very attractive product. But you have people whose business is to design athletic shoes and to source materials for athletic shoes. Most of them have never been to a farm. Um, they might not even recognize a corn plant if they saw it. So I worked with that client and with our company to put together a field tour, basically, to bring people out to a field so they could see firsthand, here's what's happening, talk to farmers, learn more about what goes into farming, what the challenges are, and having that better understanding, they can then create better programs to source those materials. That sounds really cool. And you're working with so many different people. I honestly never expected corn to be in athletic shoes. So that's a surprising <laughs> fact for me. And carpet and, of course, many, many food products. It, it really is quite amazing. So you would be surprised how many companies come to you and say, well, we have ag products in our supply chain and we need some help. <laughs> That's crazy. You might find me later Googling how much, how many products have corn in them. <laughs> you mentioned that you're working a lot with people who understand agriculture and people who don't understand agriculture. How do you navigate those conversations to bridge the gap between consumers and producers? It all comes down to what is in it for me and what things do I care about? So it does mean sometimes, and I think this is another benefit of a journalism and a communications background, rule number one, right? Know your audience, know what they care about, know what they may understand and what they may not understand. So I do frequently find that my conversations are different if it's with a farmer or an ag retailer, or if it's with a, a consumer goods type of company. And that is based on, so what are the, it comes down to what are the problems that you're working to solve for? And then let's talk about how Truterra might be able to help you address those problems. And it's very interesting, of course, the different responses that you get, whether it is, um, well, I need to make sure my business is profitable. And interestingly, of course, that's the a case on both sides of that equation. But then there are, are other very different pressures that each of those uh, faces. For example, on the consumer side, for the food companies, a lot of people think, oh, you just want to be doing these sustainability programs because it's good public relations for you. And that is not the case at all. They are looking at this again from that standpoint of how do we reduce the risk in our supply chain. So I might actually be telling that story on, on both sides. I can talk to the food companies about this is what we think we can do to help reduce that risk. And then we can talk to the farmers and the ag retailers about here is why the food companies are interested in these practices, because by the way, it reduces the risk for you and for them. So that would be one example of how you might position the same topic a little differently with different audiences. I think that's good to keep in mind. Definitely knowing your audience sounds like a very beneficial skill to have in your position. And what would you say has been the most challenging part and the most rewarding part in your current position? The most challenging is the sheer complexity of the sustainability space and of agriculture specifically. As I mentioned before with the cover crops, it seems like it might be a simple fix. Oh, let's plant this crop that is going to sequester more carbon. It's going to improve your soil. But 
oh, wait, there's all of these challenges that go along with that. I think the other big challenge in sustainability is just how very, very quickly it's changing. And it's also just expanding at such a rapid rate. That To give you an example, so one of the things that we track are the science-based targets initiative, and specifically which companies have made commitments, net zero commitments around science-based targets. And I saw a story recently, the first of these commitments were made October 28th, 2021. So almost coming up on the two-year anniversary, there were seven companies that had made net zero commitments. And a quick explanation of net zero is they're looking at all of their operations and they are working so that the amount of carbon that they create is at least offset, if not more than offset, by the amount of carbon they sequester or in some way reduce. So it went from seven companies on October 28th, 2021. I looked today on the dashboard that SBTI maintains, and it is now 3,696 companies have made these net zero commitments. And that is over a span of two years. So that gives you an idea of just how much this space is expanding. And trying to keep up with that and keep up with the demand is probably one of the biggest challenges that we are facing, along with it's a relatively new space. And we learn more all the time. And as we learn more and more, it's going to influence how we address it. So a big part of what we're doing is looking at what are the national and international protocols and processes? How are we even measuring what we're doing? How are we measuring how much carbon is in the atmosphere or how much is being sequestered or reduced? There are a number of standards bodies working on this, and it's always a work in progress. Those standards may change from year to year as we get more information. So you have to keep on top of those changing standards at the same time as you're seeing this dramatic acceleration in the number of companies that are paying attention to that and measuring and managing for it. From seven to over 3,000? Yes, in two years. And it's it's just going to continue. But that also plays into what's the most exciting part of it is that this is really gaining ground. And what is most exciting for me is we have more people paying attention to farmers, to the work that they're doing than we've had in a long, long time. And it's wonderful to see more people being educated about what is happening on a farm and having more understanding and empathy for the challenges that farmers face. Uh, two of the biggest challenges they have no control over, right? They have no control over the weather and they have no control over global markets. It's a very difficult job. And there are a lot more people that are suddenly realizing, wow, this is really challenging, but it's also really, really important. We've talked a lot about agriculture and you mentioned at the start that you didn't want to be back on the farm. Could you tell us your journey from undergraduate to your current position and how you got back into the agriculture sphere? Sure. Yes. I, well, I started out thinking that I would go into journalism. And my, one of my first uh, experiences was, and I should add too, I, I was very fortunate at SDSU. I I had an, a job with the Office of University Relations. It was an excellent experience because essentially I was doing PR work for the university, but I got to run around campus and do stories about all the amazing work that was going on, often behind the scenes. 
So that kind of whet my appetite a little bit about public relations. At the same time, I had an internship uh, with the Dow Jones Newspaper Fund. That was a copy editing internship. So I picked up that skill. And I also had an internship in Congress as an assistant press secretary through the Sears Congressional Internship Program. And that got me interested in corporate communications, corporate affairs, government affairs. So I had all of those things going into the first job. Uh, again, I thought I was going to be a copy editor. Well, that didn't turn out. There wasn't an opening after my internship. So interestingly enough, I got a job at a co-op, a different co-op called Cenex. And my boss later told me that part of it was because it was obvious I was about the only one who really knew what I was talking about when it came to growing up on a farm. Here again, 1%, a little bit of an advantage there. So I worked in corporate communications for about a year until there was a merger in that business and my position was eliminated. And then I ended up working in the agency world. And this would be started out in public relations agencies and then moved into advertising agencies. And I would tell anyone, if you want amazing experiences and you don't mind drinking from a fire hose, agencies are wonderful places to work because you do get great experience. It's very fast paced. Uh, it can be very fun. It can also be very stressful. <laughs> so I did agencies uh, for several years, primarily on agricultural accounts, once again, because people were looking for somebody, uh, hey, do you know what a bolus is for a livestock business? Like, yeah, actually I do. Okay, you're hired. It's kind of that sort of thing. So I ended up doing that for a number of years. And then I was eventually recruited to the client side for a client called Syngenta. It's a large uh, global agricultural company. And I started out with them in marketing services. I like to joke that I was essentially doing the same job as I was doing on the agency side, only at a different desk. And then after a few years, I had been working on my MBA and I finished my MBA and I was able to move around Syngenta to a product management job, which I did for several years. And then the sustainability job opened up. And so I was the um, directed the North American sustainability program for Syngenta. I am a lifelong resource efficiency geek. I think it comes from growing up on a farm where you really have to maximize everything that you have because that is the one thing you can control as opposed to weather or markets. So I did that job for a number of years. And then I happened to be on LinkedIn one day. And this is a piece of advice that I would offer to students, to everybody, really. So I routinely look at my network and often they will put up, oh, we're looking for someone. Here's the job description. Do you know anybody? And I always look at those because I think, well, maybe I know someone I can send them their way. And I'm reading this job description for Trutera and I find myself getting more and more excited and thinking, well, I want to do that job. So I actually hadn't been planning on leaving my old role, but as I read this job, I was just so excited. I ended up applying for it and I joined Trutera in the middle of the pandemic in summer of 2020. Another first because I it was the only time that I ever changed jobs, but I didn't even change the desk I was at because of course I was working from home like everybody else. So that's kind of been my journey. I would also tell people that you know you want to look for those companies that kind of let you move around within the companies. And that's always a great opportunity. And I think the best companies will do that for their people. But you just never know what the next opportunity is going to be. Sustainability as a field didn't even exist when I started my career. 
And so there are just so many more opportunities now. And I think that younger generations do a much better job of understanding that, yeah, what I start out doing is probably not going to be what I finish up doing. So I think um, you're all ahead of the game right there. I have some friends who graduated recently and they're already kind of shifting around or looking at other opportunities or looking for growth in their specific company. I think you shared some great pieces of advice. A couple that I noted the most was getting experience in agency work can be great if you're ready to drink from a fire hose. Looking at LinkedIn and looking at your different connections and that ties into networking. And then also having a company that lets you grow in that position as an individual and doesn't just keep you stuck in one spot. Exactly. You must have done this more than once. (laughs) So we talked about how sustainability didn't exist as a field when things were first starting out. It's a newer area. How have you seen communication changes in your different positions and over time as communication is also always evolving? The big one, of course, is the shift to digital. When I started out, I'm going to date myself here, but of course, when I started out, we were still doing what were called key lines. These were physical ad materials that had to be FedExed to a magazine if you wanted to run an advertisement on a page in a magazine. Obviously, that's gone. Everything is digital now. And social media uh, didn't exist at the time that I started out. So that's all new. I think the larger trends that that has ushered in, however, is one of the big ones that affects all of us directly as communicators is the attention span issue. So Microsoft in Canada did some research work, and basically around the year 2000, they estimated most people had, oh, I'm trying to think, it was about a 12-second attention span. Well, we're down to like eight now. So people have even less time that they'll pay attention to what you're going to say. So it means you have to be extremely crisp with your message, but not only that, it limits what you can talk about. And that's a real challenge when you're talking about highly complex topics. So we have that in sustainability and agriculture, and there are just so many areas where it's incredibly complex, and yet we have barely any time to talk about it at all. The other thing that is just so very different is the 24-hour news cycle. That's been going on now for a long time. But it has opened up this huge bucket that we as communicators now need to fill, communicators, journalists, et cetera. It's good and bad, right? It means that more stories do get told, but it also makes it harder if you're going to be a discerning consumer of news and information. It's very hard when anyone can have a platform and anyone can say that they're an expert in this and we are pressed for time anyway, and how do we know that they really have the credibility and the experience to be talking about what they are talking about? So from a communication standpoint, that that just creates a whole host of challenges. And how do you determine, is this a credible source? And, and the other thing that is that is very concerning to me as a journalist is how challenging local news has become. My very first job, even before college, was with a small town newspaper, tiny little town, but we had a newspaper and it was such an important part of that community. And as we look at who is going to tell the news for a small town, It's the people living in that town who are going to be most motivated and who most care about that community that can do it. But in order to do it, that takes money and that's increasingly difficult to find. So I wish I had an answer for that challenge. I don't. 
I'm very happy to see institutions taking on that challenge. And I know that is, is on the radar screen at SDSU and hope that someone can figure that out because we do not want to lose that local voice. Anyone has any ideas, we're open to them is what I'm hearing. <laughs> exactly. So building off of that, for students who are interested currently in sustainability or in journalism in any of those areas, what would you recommend that they do now to learn more or gain more connections? Right. So I would say one thing, an easy place to go, Green Biz is a nonprofit I would call it an information source for all things sustainability. And they cover sustainability in multiple industries. Ag and food is one of them, but certainly not the only one. So greenbiz.com is a great place to start and get your feet wet and see what people are talking about and start to learn the language of sustainability because like so many things, it has its own language and you have to learn a ton of acronyms like GHG and FLAG and SBTI and ESG. Go there and start figuring out what those acronyms all mean because you will be needing to use them. And then on the, the networking side, I want to stress to people that I have yet to hear of people when approached, would you do an informational interview? Would you talk to me about what you do? Who say no? I can't think of anybody who's ever said no. Feel free to reach out if you decide, boy, I'm really interested in solar power as a sustainability type profession. Go on LinkedIn, find out who are the companies working in that area and who's working there and ping them. And most people, and especially this is true in agriculture, most people will say, yeah, I'm happy to talk to you. And when you do talk to them at the end of that meeting, ask them for three names of other people who might be good for you to talk to. And better yet, ask them if they can connect you via email so that you're not basically cold calling those other people. And most people I know are happy to do that too. And that way you can kind of just keep building that network as you go along. As someone who's been sending a lot of cold emails for interviews for the <laughs> podcast, I can confirm people don't say no. <laughs> so it's a great place to start. You have a published book. What led you to publish a book and what was that process like? I have kind of two hats in, in the publishing world. I actually, the book that I published is a kind of a workbook for kids when they move to a different house. And what led me to do it is I thought I was actually at a cocktail party and I heard somebody mention, well, wouldn't it be nice if blank, blank, blank. And I decided, yeah, why don't do that. So it really just built off of that germ of an idea that I happened to um, hear while I was talking with someone at a networking event. And then it also played in with some other work that I have been doing for years. I've been writing nonfiction titles on the side. It's my nights and weekends job for a company that does books for the curriculum enhancement market. And I've actually written over 300 titles for them because I've been doing it a long time and they tend to work in series but they'll do everything from biographies to um, series about different dog breeds <laughs> to environmental series, which were, of course, one of my passions. And that one I just started because I happened to answer an ad in the newspaper. People go, what's that, an ad in a newspaper? We did used to do those. So that started out that way. And it kind of interested me, got me first interested in publishing, which then led into deciding, well, I'm going to, to do this book um, and try my own hand at that. And it didn't exactly work out because I was doing that at the height of the real estate market and then the market crashed and it's never completely come back. So, but you learn a lot from failures, right? <laughs> so just one last question to wrap up this wonderful conversation. What other advice would you like to share with students, 
either about what they're currently doing or for the future? Well, first of all, I'm so excited for students right now, just because there are more opportunities and things are far less rigid than they used to be. I look at what the work world used to be like, and I shudder a little bit because it was one size fits all. Thankfully, that is starting to change and it couldn't happen fast enough. I would say another piece of advice I think it's important for everyone to answer the question, what are the problems that I really like to solve? That is another important clue for what kind of work is going to get you excited. And again, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for something that the thought of it, it just gets you excited, gets you pumped. And a lot of times, well, is there a problem there that that I think needs to be solved or that I would like to solve? So let's go for that one. And again, as we talked about before, don't be afraid to ask people for help and to ask lots and lots of questions. And I like to think that those of us coming out of journalism and communications programs are better at that than most. So we should be even more comfortable getting information. But there are just so many opportunities. And I love, love, love how bold young people are nowadays. Take that and run with it. I'm feeling fired up now. I got some inspiration. I'm ready to go talk to people, ask questions. Well, I was going to ask, so what is it that you want to be doing? Yeah, ping me later on email. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, there's so many opportunities up and coming. And you mentioned earlier how sustainability wasn't really there when you started. And now it's flourished so much and things are changing rapidly. And it's great to see that development and how it's been changing in the professional world and how you've adapted to that. And we're all adapting constantly, right? (laughs) Sounds like a little side piece of nugget information there is that everyone's making mistakes as we learn. Yeah, completely. And we like to joke in sustainability. Oh, that was so 48 hours ago. (laughs) 48 hours is a quick turnaround. Thank you again for talking today. I learned so much about sustainability and there's corn products in athletic shoes, as well as some great advice about work experience and how to find different positions on LinkedIn, as well as gaining those connections with other people. So thank you again for taking the time to talk with us today on Coffee with Kojo. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been fun. This podcast is a property of the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University, which reserves all rights to its use. Music by Cody M. Johnson and Tyler Addison James is licensed through AMP Music. Music.